if you would, take, take a minute and think about a time in your life when God gave you something that you asked for. Take just a moment, just in your own mind, in your own heart, just think back. Think, I want you to think of something specific. What was something specifically you were asking God to do, and he did? And maybe you're, you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. I want you to do the same. I want you to think of a time in your life where you desired something to happen, and it did. Because in fact, the Bible says that God makes the rain fall on the just and the unjust. All good things, even if you don't know the Lord, anything good in your life is a gift from him. So take just a moment and think, what is a time that you asked God or desired something and he did that for you? And then I want you to think a second thing connected to that, and that is, how did you respond? When God did that thing for you that you desired him to do, that you asked for him to do, uh, how did you respond? Hopefully you said thank you, amen, right? I hope so. So um, we're continuing this series, uh, looking at, at, at chronological prayer in the Old Testament, and, and we come to a point in this journey where I want us to spend just a few moments thinking about how do we respond to the Lord when he graciously does those things we ask him to do, or gives us those things we ask him to give us. And so we're going to look at a specific example. In fact, there are many throughout the scripture. Uh, most of them are prayers in the form of songs, uh, where people will sing to the Lord and, and thank him for all the good things the Lord has done. And so we're going to spend just a few moments looking uh, at, the, at the true story of, of a woman named Hannah, and how God did some amazing things in her life and how she responded. And so I want to invite you uh, to turn to the book of 1 Samuel. We're going to begin at chapter 1. 1 Samuel, and we're going to begin in chapter 1. If you have one of the, the blue uh, church Bibles, uh, it is uh, page 271. Page 271. Right? Uh, page 271, if you're using one of the blue Bibles. And we're going to look at. Uh, we're going to spend just a few moments looking at a, at, a, at a woman by the name of Hannah, and we're going to talk about what it means to offer a prayer of thanksgiving. Uh, how do we come before the Lord and offer a prayer thanking the Lord for who He is and for what He has done uh, for us? So, uh, one Samuel, and we're going to begin in uh, in chapter one. And I'm going to kind of, uh, for, for the sake of of time, I'm going to just kind of. Bring us up to date. I'll give us the context, letting us know what happened in chapter 1. We won't read all of it. Um, but then we'll go to the prayer in chapter 2. All right? So uh, let me pray for us, and then, uh, and then we'll spend a few moments in the Word. Yeah, Lord Jesus, thank you for your Word. Thank you that it's alive and true. We thank you for Hannah and Elkanah and Samuel and all of these folks we're going to talk about. Thank you that they were real people with real challenges just like we have, and they called out to you just like we do, and you answered their prayers as you continue to do. And so, Lord, as we spend time in your word, we pray, as always, that you would open our minds and give us understanding of your word. We pray, Lord, and ask Holy Spirit that you would soften our hearts, that we would be transformed and changed by your word. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us, your people, these next few moments, for your glory and for our good, uh, we humbly ask in Jesus' name, 
Amen. So, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1 opens up by telling us about a family. And this family uh, has a, uh, a husband and, uh, and a little different, two wives. Um, uh, I think that would be a lot of wives, amen? That means two mother-in-laws, there's a lot of complications there, right? And so, uh, but, but God permitted that in the Old Testament. It wasn't his, his perfect plan, but he permitted it. And so, there, there's a man by the name of Elkanah. And Elkanah has, the Bible says, two wives. Uh, The first wife listed there in 1 Samuel uh, is Hannah, and her name uh, means grace. That's the Hebrew word for grace. So he has one wife that's named Grace, and then he has a second wife, Peninnah, and her name means Pearl. And so he has Grace and Pearl, his two wives. And the Bible tells us here in 1 Samuel chapter 1 that uh, Peninnah has many children. It doesn't give us an exact amount, but it says sons, plural, and daughters, plural. So she has at least four children, at least two boys and two girls, but probably more than that. And then the Bible tells us that Hannah has no children. No children. In fact, the Bible says that the Lord had closed her womb. In other words, that in God's perfect plan at this point that uh, God had not allowed her to have children. And the Bible says that Elkanah preferred Hannah. He had a heart for Hannah. The Bible also tells us there in 1 Samuel that, uh, that Peninnah wasn't very kind to Hannah, that she teased her and made fun of her because she couldn't have children. The Bible says that uh, every year at the certain time of the year that they would go up to, uh, to the temple to make sacrifices, to worship the Lord. And the Bible says that Elkanah would give more to Hannah because of his love for her and because he saw how she was tormented. So let's do look at verse 3 in chapter 1. It says, year after year, this man went up from his own town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord. In verse 4, whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. And this went on year after year. How heartbreaking, yeah? How heartbreaking, year after year, that that she's being teased and tormented over and over. And it says, whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord... Her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. This is is emotional abuse at a staggering level. And her husband, verse 8, her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? And then it says that they would go up and she would pray. And as you might imagine, what do you think Hannah would pray for? But she would pray and ask the Lord to work. So verse 11, chapter 1. And she made a vow, Hannah did, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. This is what was called a Nazarite vow. This was a special vow commitment that someone would make to the Lord in that day 
Uh, John the Baptist, we know, had done this. We know Samson had done this. The, the Bible tells us different men along the ages would make this Nazarite vow, and, and part of this vow would be they, they would never come in contact with a dead animal, they would never drink alcohol, and they would never cut their hair. And, and it, was, it was a visual way of seeing someone who had committed their life to serve the Lord. And so Hannah says, Lord, if you would just give me a son, Lord, if I could just get pregnant, and, and notice she doesn't ask for sons and daughters. She says, just, just one boy, Lord. If I could just have one child, and, and Lord, if you'll give me a child, I'll immediately turn around and give him right back to you, and he will serve you all the days of his life. And guess what the Lord does? The Lord does that very thing. Uh, she becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son, and she names him Samuel. And she says, look uh, over at verse 21, and we're still in chapter 1. When her husband Elkanah went up uh, with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fill his, fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, her son Samuel, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. And how, how amazing. We could just stop there. Like, how amazing is, is this woman who, who cried out to the Lord for years, who was teased and tormented for years, and she finally gets the thing she's most desired, and she says, let me wean him, but as soon as he weans, I'm giving him away. I'm giving him back to you, Lord. Which means he won't live with her. He'll, he'll live at the temple and she'll very rarely see him, potentially once a year. And, and so in, the, in, in this context, then we arrive at chapter 2, verse 1. And Hannah is now going to pray, and she's going to pray in response to the Lord answering her prayer. Let's see how she prays and what we can learn from it. So then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord, and the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance, for the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food, but those who were hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. And he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Let's pray together. Lord, again, we thank you for your word. And we pray that you would speak to us now, your people. We humbly ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Hannah offers up a prayer of thanksgiving. 
God has given her that thing that she has prayed years for. And let's just quickly see a couple of lessons we learn uh, as we offer a prayer of thanksgiving. Number one, we see this, that as we give thanks to the Lord, we celebrate his holiness. As we give thanks to the Lord, we celebrate his holiness. Look there at the beginning of her prayer. She says, there is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Her, her, her prayer of thanksgiving begins just by declaring, God, there is no one like you. God, you are utterly holy. His, his holiness means he is completely good. There is no, no sin. There is no fault found in him. Uh, he, he is good by his very nature. He is perfect by his very nature. He is holy. And so she begins her prayer of thanks by saying, we celebrate, she celebrates the holiness of God. And I love what she says here. There is no rock like our God. Amen, church? There is no rock like our God. He is holy. Uh, he is the holy one. There is no one beside you. It's the Hebrew word of saying there's no competition. There's no one bigger. There's no one better. There's no one greater. There's no one stronger. There's no one like our God. In fact, we sing it with the children, don't we? Our God is a what? Y'all not know that song? Our God is a great big God. Our God is a great big God. We'll sing it next Sunday. Dan, put it on the list. Right? Our God is a great big God. He's holy. He is holy. And she begins her prayer of thanksgiving by acknowledging the holiness of God. So what then is the application of that for you and I as we, as we pray and ask God for things? Well, the application is God never makes a mistake. If he's holy, he never makes a mistake. And so what that means is, don't miss this, because this is all in the context of prayer. As we pray and God responds to our prayers, his response is always perfect. He never makes a mistake. So what that means is for those years that God said, wait, right, she was asking for a son, and God was saying, wait. It means that that waiting time was perfectly made for Hannah, right? And, and so, so we need to remember when we pray and ask God, he never makes a mistake. And we're, we're going to end here. We'll land there in just a minute. But it, it really speaks also to the issue of what happens when God doesn't answer the prayer the way we wanted him to. Because I'll, I'll be honest. Sometimes I struggle more with that than the good stuff. About when we pray and ask God for something and, and he says either wait or no. And we have to remember that, that our God is a God of holiness, which means he never makes a mistake. I asked you a moment ago to think of a time God gave you something you asked for. I could just as easily say, remember a time when God didn't give you what you asked for. And maybe you were able to learn the lesson later. Maybe you haven't learned it yet, but, but maybe you were able to realize later, God, I'm so thankful you didn't give me what I asked for. Because, Lord, you are perfect, and, and the, Lord knows, uh, the, the Lord knows that as much as you would love to win the lottery, he might just know that'd be bad for you. Amen? You're thinking, I don't know how that'd be bad for me, but he knows, right? Sometimes we just, we're like, Lord, but it seems like that would be so good for me. But his holiness means he knows better. 
knows better, right? And so uh, as we give thanks to the Lord, we celebrate his holiness. Secondly, we see this from Hannah, that as we give thanks to the Lord, we, we celebrate his wisdom. As we give thanks to the Lord, we celebrate his wisdom. Look what she says there in verse 3. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance, for the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. Our, our God is a God who knows, and it's a really rich word there in the Hebrew. It, it, it means more than simply knowing knowledge. It means knowing knowledge, but also knowing experientially. It means God knows, right? It, it's the difference between knowing about the queen and knowing the queen, right? Um, there, there's a difference between knowing about and knowing, and, and this word encompasses both. It means we have a God who knows, right? And so as we give thanks to the Lord, Lord, thank you that you are holy, right? That you are holy, that you never, ever make a mistake. But, but as we saw a minute ago, the application here would be, God, it means you know what's best for me. God, you know what's best for me. So he never makes a mistake. He's holy, so uh, we rest in that as we pray. Thank you, God, that you don't make a mistake. And so if you've given this to me, it was the right thing. And Lord, if you haven't given it to me, it was still the right thing, right? You never make a mistake. But thank you, Lord, now that in your wisdom, you are a God who knows. And Lord, that means that you know what is best for me. You know what is best for me. I, I, I can remember this was many years ago. Uh, our son, Max, was probably about four years old at the time. And it was one of those rare occurrences here in Birmingham where we got some proper snow. I mean, like, proper, like, snowman-level snow. And, uh, and so Kayla and Max, as you might imagine, were just chomping to go outside. And so they're like, hey, can we go, can we go, can we go? And we're like, yep. And so we're getting them all kitted out. I mean, we had them looking like the Michelin man. They're just covered in head-to-toe and puffy jackets and things. But Max decided he did not want gloves. He said, Dad, I don't need them. I'm like, son, you, you need gloves. Don't need them. I'm like, son, but it's going to be cold. He's like, Dad, I, I think I know what I need. I was like, you know what? You're right. Have a good time. And so they went outside, and they're building a snowman, and he made it, Christy, maybe what, four minutes Six minutes, and he comes in, and he's crying, and guess why he's crying? He says, my hands don't feel right. That's exactly how he worded it. He said, Dada, hands don't feel right. And so we got him all sorted, right? I said, do you want to go back outside? Yes, please. Where are my gloves, he said. See, Dad, Dad knew best. Dad knew best. I wonder how many times I'm that way with the Lord where I'm praying and I'm asking the Lord things, and the Lord's saying, yeah, but Kenny, you really don't need that. Actually, Kenny, you, you need to put your gloves on. Oh, Lord, I got this. And I come back to the Lord very quickly and say, Lord, something doesn't feel right. Lord, something doesn't feel right. As we offer a prayer of thanksgiving, we, we celebrate God for uh, his holiness and we celebrate God for his wisdom. He knows what is best for you. And dare I say, he knows better than you do what you need. Because he's the God who knows. Uh, thirdly, we see this, that uh, as we give thanks to the Lord, we celebrate his power. 
as we give thanks to the Lord, we celebrate his power. And, and this becomes uh, the majority of her prayer here. It really takes us from uh, verses 4 through verses, uh, verse 9. And it, it's a bit reminiscent of Ecclesiastes, where he's like, you know, the Lord, the Lord takes down and the Lord brings up. And, and, uh, and so there's a, there's a lot of similarity there with Ecclesiastes. And she's just celebrating the Lord's power. And, and it culminates then uh, by her saying this, For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. Right? This, this would be a very poetic Hebrew way of, of saying he is all-powerful. I mean, the very foundations of the earth he set. There, there is nothing in existence that he didn't make. Right? That there's nothing that is that didn't come into being because of him. He is the all-powerful, all-knowing creator God. Colossians will tell us that, that all things exist through Jesus, that, that Jesus actually holds the universe together. The very fabric of the universe is held together by God. Every breath you've taken since I've been speaking was done by God who created the lungs in your body and who created the system in which your lungs then take the oxygen and put them into your bloodstream and, and your red blood cells are then, I mean, all of that God is sustaining right now. And so uh, he says, for the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. All of the, the, the things created we see, all the things we don't see, they're simply the foundations of the earth. The, the Bible talks about the earth being the Lord's footstool. I mean, we, we, we have a footstool at our house, and it's in front of my little chair, and, and I'll prop back and just put my feet up on it. The Bible says that's what all of creation is to God. It's nothing more than a footstool. That's who he is. Indeed, our God is a great big God. Amen? And so uh, he is holy, he is wise, but he is all-powerful. But what does that mean? How do I apply that to my prayer life? Well, it simply means this. God can do anything he wants according to his will. God can do anything. God can do anything. Now, we put according to his will because, uh, you know, can God sin? Well, Yes and no, right? He, can God lie? Well, he could, but he doesn't because he's set parameters on himself, the scripture says, right? And, and so he always works according to his own word and to his will, right? But God can do anything. And, and I'll just confess, sometimes I forget that. But, but Hannah didn't. How long did she pray? She prayed for years, right? And so Jesus will tell us later, ask, seek, knock. Don't, don't stop. And in the Greek, it literally means keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. It means don't stop, right? Don't, don't stop. Uh, this is something you don't have to teach a child. Is that true? Have, have, have you ever had the experience, Dan, where one of your kids wants a snack or wants something and, and they keep asking, seeking, and knocking? Never, <laughs> right? Right? You don't have to teach this to children. They get it. Like, keep asking, keep asking, right? And that's, Jesus says, like, that's, that's, that's what I, I want your heart to be, a heart that just, like, just keep seeking after me. Keep asking of me. Keep believing and trusting, right, that our God is a God of power. Do you remember when the disciples were, were speaking to Jesus? And, and they're talking about wealthy people and, um, and what it would take for a wealthy person to make it into the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven, right? Because if you're really rich and powerful, you may not see a need for God. 
And so the disciples ask Jesus, they're like, well, Jesus, how then can it happen? How, how can people be saved? And Jesus says, with man, you're right, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. You believe that's the God we serve? That we serve a God that with him all things are possible. All things are possible. He is the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That's who he is. He is all powerful. And in the scripture says he can do uh, above what we could ask or think. I mean, what we can even imagine, God can go beyond that because it's who he is. And maybe, maybe you're here this morning and, and you're like Hannah and you're like in year five. And you've been calling out to the Lord for something. Lord, save my spouse. Lord, save my child. Lord, provide. Lord, do it, please. And you're in year five and you feel like quitting. You feel like giving up. You're not sure if he hears you. And I want you to hear, he is the God who knows he is the God who has the power to do it according to his will. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Because sometimes it's more about the process than it is the end result. Sometimes it's more about who God is making us into than what it is God's going to give us. Are you with me? And, and so as we, as we give thanks to the Lord, we, we celebrate his, his wisdom, we, we celebrate his holiness, but we celebrate his power so don't give up. And by the way, ask, ask God to do the big things. Sometimes I think my prayers are too little, right? Well, God, if you could. God, please, could you, right? The, the scripture says, come boldly before the throne of God. Come boldly. Now, I, it is a paradox there, isn't it? Like, I don't, I don't know if I want to come boldly before a holy God. And yet in Christ. I'm an adopted child of the king. I, I don't imagine William has a hard time asking King Charles for stuff. Why? Because he's a son of the king. Right? If you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you're an adopted child of God. Amen? You're a child of God. Ask your heavenly father. Don't quit. Don't quit asking, seeking, and knocking. He, he's a God of wisdom, of holiness, of power. But then lastly, uh, we see this that as we give thanks to the Lord, uh, we celebrate his sovereignty. As we give thanks to the Lord, we celebrate his sovereignty. We see this at the end in verse 10. And Hannah says this, the Most High, right? Capital letters, it's, it's one of the names of God. The Most High will thunder from heaven, and the Lord, that's Yahweh, will judge the ends of the earth. He's completely in control. We, we, and and it's, it's, it's beautiful here because you see two sides of the coin of who God is. This, this most high will thunder from heaven. This most high God, it's, the, it's one of the Hebrew names for God that, that is God in his power and his authority and his awesomeness and his, his bigness, right? Like almost this God you don't want to come before because he says he'll thunder from heaven, right? He is the God who, who does thunder and lightning, and then she says, the Lord, the word there is Yahweh, and that's his personal name. It would be the, the Hebrew equivalent to, to, you know, Daddy, right? Abba, Father, it's who he is. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He is this, this tremendous God who is sovereign over his creation, who is all-powerful. And yet, for those of us who know him, he is Yahweh, and he alone will judge 
the ends of the earth. He is the sovereign. And when we say sovereign here, we mean in the sense of sometimes we might refer to the king as the sovereign of England, right? He, he is the sovereign of all creation. He, he is King Jesus, amen? He is King Jesus. And so we, we celebrate his, his holiness, his wisdom, his power, but lastly, we, we celebrate that he is king over all creation. That's who he is. He's in complete control. He's in complete control. And so uh, why does that matter? Well, simply means this. It means God is working all things for his glory and for my good. God is working all things for his glory and for my good. Why? Because he's the sovereign God of the universe, and he judges the ends of the earth. And so scripture is ripe with examples. We we think of Joseph, who was beaten and thrown in a well and then sold into slavery by his own brothers who was imprisoned, who was accused of rape and all these things that happened to him. And then we see Joseph rise up to become the second most powerful man in Egypt by default making him the second most powerful man in the world at that time. And when he eventually sees his brothers again, he says what? What you meant for evil, God meant for good. And that act of evil actually saved the Jews from a famine from a natural holocaust. Uh, these men meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. We can fast forward all the way to the New Testament and we think of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8. And he says, God is working all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God is working how many things? All things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Uh, no one can thwart the plans of a sovereign God. He even can take the evil of men and use it for his glory and the good of the gospel. Uh, Christy and I were at a meeting with our mission agency two weeks ago now and just looking at, at Europe and what God is doing. And uh, we had many, many missionaries who were in Ukraine who had to leave. Most of them now are in Poland and uh, uh, finding ways to get back in and to do ministry. And um, uh, in the last two years, since things started, uh, just our mission agency seen almost 1,000 churches planted. When I say church, I mean churches, not just two or three people, like something we could go to this morning and worship the Lord. Uh, see, it, it's an example of God taking something that men meant from evil and working it out for his glory and for the good of thousands of people. Amen. Now, we, we still condemn evil and all its vices and versions, and yet we serve a God who can bring glory to himself and good to those who love him through all circumstances. And so we, we celebrate his, his wisdom, his, his power, his knowledge, all these things. We celebrate the fact he is king of the universe. And it means that if I'm asking for, for something, and, and, and it happens, then God knows it was for my benefit and for his glory. But if I'm asking for something and it doesn't happen, it means that God is working for his glory and for my benefit. So it brings us to the last thing, and it's this. Uh, when God answers our prayer with wait or no, sometimes I'll, I'm guilty of saying, well, God didn't answer my prayer. Is no an answer? Isn't it? That's an answer. 
And so often what I mean when I say God didn't answer my prayer, what I mean is God didn't say yes, right? But no is an answer, and wait is an answer. Have you ever had to tell your children no or wait? Time or two. Uh, what do we do when that happens? What do we do when God says no or wait? Well, this is what we do. We thank God for his holiness. We thank God for his wisdom. We thank God for his power. We thank God for his sovereignty. Same thing. Nothing changes. Because however God answers our prayers, he does it out of his holiness, out of his wisdom, out of his power. He does it out of his sovereignty, knowing that he's always working for his glory and for our good. No and wait is tough, but sometimes no and wait can be much better than yes. Amen? Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are the God who answers prayers. Yeah, and no and wait are answers, but you always answer. And you always answer perfectly, God. And Lord, you answer in a way that, that just brings glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you answer in a way that's always working for our good, even when we don't see it. And Lord, we thank you for the testimony of Hannah. We thank you for this godly woman who endured years of abuse, years of disappointment, years of heartache and heartbreak, but she never gave up. And Lord, thank you that in your perfect timing, you gave her Samuel. Lord, we know your word says that you go on later to give her three more sons and two daughters. Lord, you, you don't just give her one, you, you abundantly, you give her six. So, Lord, we thank you for that. She, she even mentioned seven in her prayer. And, and so, Lord, you abundantly provided. And so we thank you for that. And, Lord, just pray for each of us that we, um, if, if we've seen you answer yes, that, Lord, we too with Hannah would celebrate who you are. That, Lord, we would go and shout from the rooftops your goodness and your provision. That we would share with others how good you have been to us, Lord. But Lord, we also want to pray that in times of disappointment, in times of struggle, and in times where you tell us no or wait, that, Lord, we would just as equally celebrate who you are and that we would trust in you, knowing that you know what is best for us, your people. So thank you that you are the God who answers prayer. In fact, Lord, your word says that right now at this very moment that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us, your people. Thank you, Jesus, that you are praying for us, that you love us. May we be people of prayer. May we be people who fervently seek, knock, and ask on behalf of one another, on behalf of ourselves. And Lord, may we always celebrate whatever the answer, that you are a good, good Father. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.